podcast i'm aaron i'm bailey and i'm erica and today we have a special american health care act episode of bad and bitchy and uh we're gonna talk about how well america hates women yeah and uh, especially poor ones yeah yeah and how they hate the uh the poor people um and we're gonna be joined today by buzzfeed news reporter calling in from washington dc paul mcleod and full disclosure, he is my partner, so we these are topics we talk about fairly frequently. You guys like each other. He's okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Stay tuned. All right, so we're joined here with Paul McLeod, politics reporter with BuzzFeed News. Hi, Paul. Hi, guys. So, um, how are things in Washington? Uh, it is rainy right now, and it is a bit calmer because Congress is out of session. So we're just waiting for next week when everyone will come back and all of the insanity will pick right back up. Sounds great. So Congress is only out for, how long is it? have they been out for? Oh, oh is it Memorial week. Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they have Memorial Day week off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're back facing constituents or... Kind of running from them because not many of them are actually doing town halls because uh, people are pretty angry right now. I can't yep. wait for the Twitter clips. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you're joining us today to talk to talk to our listeners about the American Healthcare Act. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess since we're Canadian and we don't know anything about the American healthcare system, why don't you give us a quick rundown of what that's like? Sure. I'll just quickly go through it. So before President Obama came around, it was a purely private system uh, with private insurance companies offering coverage and competing to try to offer people the lowest rates. And the easiest way to offer people people lower rates was to insure more healthy people and not insure sick people who actually cost a lot of money. So this is where the infamous pre-existing conditions things come, uh, thing comes from. Uh, so say if I had a heart condition and was applying for insurance, the insurance company would look at me and be like, eh, that guy, we're going to have to pay for his heart medication. He could have a heart attack. We'd have to pay for his hospital bills. That's going to be expensive. So no, we're not going to insure you at all. We're just going to insure healthy people. And a lot of people were just screwed. They had no way to get coverage. Uh, another way to offer cheap plans was to offer really skimpy, shitty plans that didn't really cover much. So this is why you would hear stories of Americans being, say, halfway through chemotherapy treatment, and then they would hit this cap that they didn't know existed, and their insurance companies would stop paying for everything. So Obama came along, and he said, all right, we're going to stop all of this, and he essentially forced the insurance companies. He said, you have to you have to insure everyone. Everyone who wants to be insured, you have to insure them, and even if they're sick, you have to give them coverage, and you have to cha- charge them the same amounts as healthy people. And also, you have they have to be decent plan. Here are all the things you have to do and you have to cover. And none of this like nonsense where you have these health insurance plans that don't really cover anything that anyone needs. So that was all well and good. The question was, how do you pay for that? The Affordable Care Act or Obamacare did a few different things and there were these subsidies. Uh, But the main and most controversial one was what's called the individual mandate. This basically to create that healthy people need to pay for insurance too. We're all going to try 
to pay for this together. It was essentially a way of trying to get universal health care in a country that doesn't actually have universal health care. It was a weird workaround. So if you were healthy, you had to buy insurance, also you had to face a tax penalty. So that was passed only by Democrats. Republicans fought it. And Republicans for years had promised, we're going to get rid of all of the stuff you don't like, like the uh, the individual mandate. But we're going to keep all the good stuff. We're going to keep the pre-existing condition, condition protections and all that. It was just this wildly unrealistic stance for years, and now they have power, and now they're trying to figure out how to actually undo Obamacare without making everyone angry, and so far they've made everyone angry. Can you actually talk about the exchanges in terms of, of Obamacare too? Yeah, so the the individual markets, as they're called, or the, yeah, the, the Obamacare exchanges, um, these are the places where individuals go to buy health care. If you are – so, and it's important to realize that like a lot of what we talk about in these issues is individuals or people who work for small companies. Mm-hmm. If you work for, say, IBM or something, a large company with thousands of people – then you're probably okay with pre-existing conditions because just by working at IBM, you will have access to uh, insurance. But if you work for a smaller company or if you're on your own, you're a freelancer or you're poor and you don't, you're between jobs. I mean, this is the, this is supposed to be the safety net, these individual marketplaces where you can go and you can buy insurance. And Obamacare provides a lot of subsidies for people who aren't able to afford insurance to be able to afford insurance. And what was the deal with um, the expansion of Medicare? Yeah, in so, uh, the well, Medicaid. Medicare Act? Yeah, Medicaid. So, uh, oh, Medicaid. Medicaid is, sorry. Yeah, it's, it, it, they're often uh, mixed up. Because Medicare is essentially the the universal healthcare system, the publicly funded healthcare system for older people, people over the sixty-five. Medicaid is for people who are disabled, uh, for uh, uh, children of people who can't afford to cover their uh, uh, to get insurance. And uh, just for essentially the dirt poor people, I mean, we're, it, it was it was initially people who were making something like twelve thousand dollars as an individual, and the Obama, Obamacare uh, system changed that slightly. It it upped it to about fifteen or sixteen thousand of income. Uh, if you were met that threshold, you would be able to get Medicaid. You'd be able to get state funded health care. Uh, I mean, it was still pretty skimpy by Canadian standards, uh, where, of course, we insure everyone. But, I mean, you know, you, you had to be pretty low income to qualify. But still, this became a real point of contention among Republicans because – some Republicans – because they argued that this was never what Medicaid was supposed to be. It was supposed to be for people who were injured and could not work, not just people who are able-bodied and aren't working right now. So it's always been controversial. A lot of states accepted the Medicaid expansion. Uh, many Republican-held states did not. And so now there's this awkward situation where, in theory, Republicans want to roll back the Medicaid expansion, take it back. But that means taking away billions and billions of dollars from about half the states, 32 states, I think it is, that rely on this money to insure millions of Americans. They're using funding to fight the opioid epidemic that is ravishing all of North America. And they are you know, viciously fighting to keep this money and don't, uh, the states are, and don't want to take it away, understandably. Okay, so Obamacare passes and, you know, it operates on for eight or nine years and then mm-hmm. Donald Trump become, is, becomes president and the Republicans introduce the American Health Care Act. 
So what yeah. what happened there? That's been a process yeah, so, in and of itself. And, and one thing to point out, too, is that right now under the Obamacare system that's still in place, premiums have been have been rising and uh, in some places dramatically and insurers are pulling out of markets. And Republicans are pointing to this as proof that we have to do something because if we don't, Obamacare is collapsing and people are going to lose their insurance anyway. That, most experts do not agree with that. Uh, the most experts say that Obamacare is not in what's called a death spiral, uh, and there are measures that could be done to improve the markets. But Trump isn't doing those. Trump administration is not really making any moves to try to tighten things up or improve things. So things are just going to keep getting worse. It seems like in the meantime. So they bring in the American Healthcare Act. Uh, I'll spare you the long, tortured process of what happened in the House, but uh, they had to change it several times and eventually pass it in the House. It is wildly unpopular, and it is before the Senate, and it looks like the Senate's going to make changes to it. But essentially what the American Health Care Act does is – oh, sorry. No, no, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, my, you guys are so Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean – First and foremost, it takes hundreds of billions of dollars out of Medicaid and puts it into tax cuts. Uh, it repeals Obamacare taxes, so there's something about eight, like $830 billion that is taken out of health care for the poor. And predominantly goes to benefit about $600 billion or so, predominantly goes to benefit uh, people who make over $200,000 a year. Uh, this is in a large degree a transfer of wealth bill. But uh, beyond that, uh, it repeals much of Obamacare, including it gives the states, and this is really where what's become one of the most controversial things, is it gives the states the power to waive the regulations against things like pre-existing conditions. So let's say Tennessee decides, well, we want to bring premiums down. So we're going to stop making our insurers uh, uh, insure sick people. And we're going to stop making them, I don't know, uh, have to include maternity care in every plan or drug addiction treatment in every plan. They can just drop those things. And it presumably would bring premiums down, but we're gonna, that would lead to going back to the days of sick people struggling to get health insurance and people buying plans that uh, are not robust and then they end up getting screwed or bankrupted when they get sick. So that is, that is the big concern and the big debate right now. Can I um, like ask about... Um, the skyrocketing premiums under Obamacare versus, I mean, in terms of the underlying, because when I hear people talk about how bad Obamacare is, that's their first sort of argument. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, depending on where you are in a lot of rural counties right now, uh, things have gotten pretty bad. I mean, things are a lot better if you're in a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just more of a population density there, and so there's more competition. But and there's in more rural areas, what, yeah. yeah, and and in rural areas, what we what we've seen is that insurers have to make decisions to enter these marketplaces in advance or deciding right now for 2018, and there's just a wild amount of uncertainty. And so, for example, there are billions of dollars in subsidies that they're supposed to get under Obamacare that they have no real idea whether the Trump administration is going to give them or not. So the entire you're, – you're trying to set rates 
two years in the future, not knowing whether the, the subsidies you've been promised are going to exist or not. So what we're seeing is a lot of insurers are just pulling out. They're just saying, yeah, screw this. I, look, we have no idea how to plan for this on an actuarial basis. We're out of here. And that's just leaving fewer and fewer choices, and it is bringing costs up. Oh, so that's why they're pulling out. That's one of the reasons, yeah. But it's a big one, though. I mean, that's one yeah. of the, the ones that they cite a lot, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what are some of the, the biggest issues with the AHCA that kind of our listeners would be interested in? Like, I know that there's the, the Planned Parenthood issue. There's, you know, essential health benefits for women, such as, like, you know, mm-hmm. um, pregnancy, abortions. There's, like, the high-risk pools. Um, what are some of the, those implications? Yeah, a couple of things worth breaking out. So the essential health benefits are called these are the rules that – dictate what insurance plans must offer in every plan. Uh, To get rid of these would have a pretty drastic impact. So one of them, as you say, is pregnancy and maternity care. And there was just a study done by this, uh, about this by the Congressional Budget Office. And they project that in states where that waive maternity care as an essential health benefit, that a lot that insurance will, insurers will do that. And then people who want to buy insurance you're going to be facing about an extra $1,000 a month in either out-of-pocket costs or just straight-up extra insurance costs for maternity care, which is, of course, a huge expense for uh, anyone who's just had a child. Um, also, with in regards to abortion, the, the bill does a few things to make it uh, more difficult uh, for, and expensive and just uh, hard for women to get abortions. I mean, it, it, it does uh, strip federal funding from Planned Parenthood. But beyond that, the, the, the health bill has this weird kind of quasi-Obamacare replacement thing. So they say, all right, we're not going to kick everyone out in the cold. We're going to give everyone tax credits that you can use to put towards health insurance. So for a younger person in your 20s, it's about $2,000 a year that you get that will help you pay for health insurance. The thing is, that money cannot go towards any plan that covers any form of abortion. So they're just basically, they're, they're incentivizing, or, or not even incentivizing, basically demanding insurer, insurers drop abortion coverage from what they offer. This is gonna get incredibly tricky in places like California, where there's actually a law that insurers have to cover abortions. So on a federal level, you'll have this policy if this passes, that no federal money can go to these insurance plans that offer abortion, but you have to offer abortion in, in California. So, I mean, it's just, it would be very chaotic. And costly. Oh, I mean, it, yeah, you just, you would have to pay out of pocket essentially for anyone, even if you have insurance under the system. So question, um, yeah. pre-existing, so uh, the pre-existing conditions, I mm-hmm. have seen a lot go back and forth, especially on like Twitter and stuff about rape being a pre-existing condition and, you know, cesarean section being a pre-existing condition. How true are these things? Like, I mean, they're drastically exaggerated to the point of, in my in my opinion, just being flat out false okay. uh, and, and and dangerously wrong. I think I've seen a lot of people 
especially with the rape of the pre-existing condition point, you know, saying that like, look, you're, you're not going to be able to uh, try to go public about what happened to you, or you're not going to be able to go to the police to try to get your rapist charged, because if you do, you'll lose health care. I mean, that is just wrong and, and a, a dangerous thing to put out there. So where that comes from is the idea that if you waive pre-existing condition protections, that insurers will uh, look at this as uh, someone's medical history and will increase their premiums. There are a couple reasons that's not happening. I mean, for one, you can't actually charge women more than men under the Affordable Health Care Act. It's one of the few equalizing things that they do keep in there. But for another, even before Obamacare came along, that that uh, phenomenon of women being denied coverage for rape, which was a real thing and, and happened for years, had essentially been stamped out. And essentially every state in the in the country has a state level uh, law to ban it. I think the only two that don't are Vermont and uh, Idaho, but there's no, but it, it, which isn't to say that that would even happen in those states. It's just that they were relying on, on the federal bans against it anyway. So, so that is just, it, rape is not going to be a pre-existing condition. Like there's no outlining of raping a pre-existing condition in the HCA. Now where there is some concern and, and some, sort of like nugget of truth here is that it is hypothetically possible in some states that waive uh, pre-existing condition protections that that the, the results of a rape could end up influencing someone's, uh, someone's uh, premium cost. So, I mean, essentially, if you were getting some form of counseling or medical treatment afterwards, it is hypothetically possible in a certain state, depending on where you live, that that could count against your medical history and you could face higher premiums. But but that's and that which is a valid thing to argue about and be concerned about. That to me is just not the same as saying rape is a pre-existing condition. You cannot report your rapist. That is just totally inaccurate. Well, okay, that's unequivocal, yeah. Paul. Unequivocal. <laughs> <laughs> I have people have been getting mad. People have been getting mad at me about this. They're saying, no, well, that's, that's why that's I asked. Bad. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, I just I get this. We just have to at a certain point talk about what we're actually talking about here and the hyperbole. There's so much in this bill that I, I think is really destructive mm-hmm. that I think it's important for people to talk about what's actually in it. And there's been so much misinformation, uh, just in particular, shared on Twitter and Facebook that I think is, is really unhelpful. Uh, there, re- there are very valid reasons for people to be concerned about this legislation, but there are also reasons people are concerned that are, are made up. So what about mental health services? How does that work in the mix? Like Ooh, how is yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another one that it depends where you live and it depends what the states do. But right now, uh, the essential health benefits for all insurance plans include uh, addiction treatment and mental health services. Oh. And under yeah, under this bill, under the bill passed by the House, states could waive that, and that would make it significantly more difficult for states to fight. Uh, the opioid epidemic, and it would make it more difficult to, to, to deal with mental health issues, which is one of, I think, pretty much everyone in the health industry agrees is one of the big challenges of, you know, the modern age is this awakening of mental health issues and how to deal with it. Uh, and they could, it could totally be dropped from insurance coverage in states that let that happen. 
So you mentioned the uh, the Congressional Budget Office, and right. last week they released the score of the bill. Yeah. And what? So what does that mean? Yeah, it's interesting. So the the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, is a much bigger deal than the PBO, the Parliamentary Budget Office in Canada. Um, they actually there's certain rules around. Uh, bills that have to undergo a study or a score, as they call it here, uh, by the CBO. Uh, so that just happened with the health care bill. Uh, it was essentially a worst-case scenario for the Republicans. It projected that there would be 23 million fewer people insured under the HCA than under Obamacare over the next decade. I think it's 14 million next year, and then that number grows to 23 million by 2026. And essentially, it, it found it, it didn't really make any projections on bringing premiums down, which is the one thing Republicans have been touting as the essential thing that they need to do. I just essentially said, look, there's going to be fewer people covered. There's going to be more people who are covered, but then are facing higher out-of-pocket costs. And there's going to be more people who are sick and just are going to get priced out of the market. And uh, – well, I guess it's a good point to mention that there is a, in theory, in this bill, there's a, a stopgap, which is these high-risk pools, and this is just a government-funded set of money that, for people who are priced out of the insurance market because they have pre-existing conditions, that the high-risk pools will cover them. And in theory, this could absolutely work. In practice, every time this has been done in America, they end up getting underfunded, and people in high-risk pools end up getting, well. They either can't get coverage because there's too little money or the coverage they get is, is really bad. Sounds really great for everyone. Yeah, so I, I realize I'm just like throwing a million things kind of fast uh, <laughs> at you guys right here. But yeah, I mean, like, the, the, I guess the, point, the, the, the main takeaway of what's happening right now is that Obamacare tried to move America towards universal health care while still keeping a private insurance industry as at the center of it, which is a really difficult thing to do, which is why Obamacare was such a, an awkward and complicated bill. And it, it, it had a lot of flaws, but the one thing it really accomplished was it insured millions of people who could never get insurance before. And that is all at risk right now. Um, I guess my question is like, so, like, what do people do now then if if they can't, like, if they can't afford healthcare? Obviously, they're not going to go to the doctor for like minor things and preventative medicine and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, if they get to a serious injury point and they don't have insurance, then is like obviously they don't just die on the street. So, like, or maybe they do. I yeah. Don't know. No, no, that's a good question. Um, so the the there is a rule or a law that that hospitals cannot reject someone who's in dire need of medical attention. So if you were to have a heart attack or get stabbed or something and run to a hospital, they will treat you. They have to. They can't just let you die in the waiting room. But as you said, it's 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 the everything else. If you have an ailing health condition that is getting worse, well, you can't get that treated. You just have to wait to the point where it's nearly killing you before you can you can get coverage at a hospital, which is, you know, not a very humane system right now. Um, but a lot of people are doing that. A lot of people are, are just paying the tax penalty and not buying insurance. And 
I mean, if if this bill were to pass, people with pre-existing conditions and can't afford can't afford insurance anymore, they would just have to hope that these high-risk pools are adequately funded because they don't really have any other options. How are they being funded? Uh, well, so but before Obamacare, there were a few states that did them, and it's it's a, it's actually it's just through uh, taxpayer taxpayer dollars. It, it, ironically, it's a little bit of the Canadian system. It's just like little snippet of universal health care uh, that you just have the the broader base of taxpayers who are going to put money into this high-risk pool, and it's going to pay for sick people. I mean, it's essentially if you took the Canadian health care system but only applied it in like a little drop instead of applying it to everyone. That's, that's how it works. It just seems like a fiscally irresponsible thing to do, like especially when you look at the you know, rates of diabetes and as the obesity crisis goes up and stuff, there's these chronic conditions that if they're allowed to just like fester and go untreated and, and not be monitored for so long, then it seems to me that it would just be like exponentially more expensive to care for them in critical condition rather than just like managing their health. And then you can't, you can't engage in preventative yeah. kind of wellness either that yeah. would lower the probability of these kinds of illness as we get older. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly that's exactly right, and that's and the outcomes bear that out. That Americans pay more for healthcare than anyone else, and uh, get comparatively, or they have comparatively mediocre health outcomes to other countries. Uh, they get much less for spending more. So is this because they just like don't? look at the medium or long-term plan they just want the effects right now is this more much more well, short-sighted the problem is there's this multi-billion dollar insurance industry mm-hmm. that offers everyone health care right now so and when when canada what was it 50s when uh i should know this um when uh you know the Canadian universal healthcare system was brought in place. It wasn't this massive insurance industry. It was just sort of a small, smaller pockets of companies uh, that you know you can you can you can pass something in that environment. And because America just was so late to the party, now when they talk about universal healthcare, well, you've got hundreds of thousands of people employed by these companies, and these companies control a massive amount of lobbying money, and they're. <laughs> you know they're not going to go along with their their existence uh, being erased. So it's incredibly difficult. That's why that's why Obamacare was partly so awkward. Is that Obama ended up having to work with the insurance industries. He took away the the public option, the publicly funded health, uh, insurance option, to appease them largely. And so the entire American healthcare debate right now is how do we make this work while keeping this massive private health insurance industry at the center of it. And then the health insurance companies are just sort of capitalizing on the American sense of like, well, just pay for your own. Like I pay for my own, so why shouldn't like why should I have to pay for you? And they're just like, Yeah, there's 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 yeah, I would I would totally agree with that. I mean one thing that's been kind of eye opening being down here as a Canadian is there's a there really is a different set of Mm-hmm. foundational principles mm-hmm. like when i i was talking to an american con- uh, republican congressman the other day and he was talking about how you know medicaid costs are spiraling out of control and if we don't cap them at the federal level then the states won't do anything about it and so we just need to we need to keep these costs in. which you know 
everyone, every, costs are spiraling under control for everyone in the health industry. It's, it's an issue everywhere. But in Canada and in so many other countries, you've got this sort of starting point of, okay, well, everyone gets health care. No one dies because they're poor and they can't afford coverage. We're a rich country. That's not going to happen here. Now, how do we pay for this and what do we pay mm-hmm. for and how do we keep it reasonable? In America, there isn't that. There isn't just that, that basic starting point of, well, every, every, yeah, everyone gets health care. So it just changes the debate so much and you end up in such a radically different place when you start from somewhere different. Perhaps Medicaid is spiraling out of control because of the opioid crisis, because of the obesity crisis, because the food industry is pretty powerful, too. (laughs) I mean, there are and this is what I'm talking about, about preventative care and a little education, you know, But but you can't tax their sodas. I wouldn't even tax the sodas. I'd be like, okay, my my attitude is this. I feel like you get certain pieces of information. You get the information. You swish it around in your head a little bit. And then you come out with some sort of decision. But given that you have sort of like a nutritional crisis, really... Um, has nobody put that together or at least investigated that? It's, it's tough. I mean, there's so many ways that the influence of money manifests itself in American politics. And as soon as you have a large industry that has a lot at stake, like the food industry or pharmaceutical industry or, you know, name one of a hundred others. Well, yeah, Yeah. it, it it really becomes difficult for, I mean, politicians, don't want to go there and it becomes very tricky well even oh sorry i'm just even thinking about like sex education like they want to slash planned parenthood funding but they also don't want to teach kids that like if you're going to have sex because we know you're going to have sex you should use a condom or birth control oh but you can't have access to birth control so just figure it out (laughs) well no they teach abstinence yeah because that works. There's a lot of sort of like fall off the cliff, figure it out with this with this um, yeah government, like whatever session we're in. I'm not sure what congressional session we're in, but yeah, there's a lot of you know what. Go Just figure it out for yourself. Figure it out for yourself, and if you can't figure it out, it's your fault. Yeah. So Paul, did- well, that yeah, that's actually kind of is. I mean, that sort of personal liberty thing is is very much a core philosophy down here but also the the religious uh liberty the religious freedom Mm -hmm. thing has actually manifested itself in an interesting way just today because uh vox had a draft report of uh of the trump administration's plan to let workplaces not insure contraceptives for their employees so under obamacare every workplace or nearly every workplace had to cover a different kind of contraceptives, and that included, uh, you know, emergency contraceptives, so Plan B, essentially. And a lot, this sparked a huge debate, and a lot of religious groups objected to this, saying, you know, we should not have to insure our employees for this if we do not agree with this. So the there were a few exemptions for essentially churches or, like, you know, overtly religious institutions under Obamacare. So it looks like Trump is preparing to let any company that wants this exemption get it, which means that, I mean, I don't know, I'm just going to pick one out of my top of my head. Google, 
uh, if Google were to randomly just say, eh, we're not doing this anymore, then no one at Google would be covered for any kind of, of child care. It would be a or, PR or nightmare. Yeah. yeah, Google. I think Google because they would never do that. Yeah, because like, yeah, it would be a PR be nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot happening. I mean, there's a there's a lot changing really radically right now, or will be about to change. And it's really unfortunate because like teen birth rates are at like an all time low. Yeah, you know, and then Republicans don't want to fund Planned Parenthood. They don't want to let people have access to abortions, but they're going to have pregnancies all over. Well, that's what they don't. I that's what I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. It's like. You you but surely also, can't yeah, be putting you, two and two together. But then, because you can't afford your baby, you have to like throw it in a dumpster exactly. because you had to pay a thousand dollars a month. And then the state will come and arrest you, and charge you, and put you on trial, and put you in jail. Or you're just gonna kill your baby and, and like, like go to prison so for There's so many industries that yeah, this is just benefiting. Yeah. Like I'm just like. The prison industrial complex, yeah. the food industry, big pharma. You know, if I didn't think... The religious right. Yeah. <laughs> Just everybody. Everybody. <laughs> except, except progressive. Poor women. Women. Yeah. Well. So, so, Paul, do Republicans legitimately think that this is good policy or is it just that their personal views and religious views are kind of taking over? Oh, even a lot of Republicans hate this bill. Uh, I mean, it is you, you definitely can't say Republicans as the monolith are for it. In fact, if I were a betting man, I would probably bet that. Well, I am a betting man, but during the reporting, but uh, it's it's extremely likely that this bill or anything that looks like it will not pass the Senate uh, in the House. They barely got it passed with a lot of compromises, and they still had twenty Republicans vote against it. It's just that after nine years of promising to repeal Obamacare, to then do nothing, to not repeal Obamacare looks just so politically embarrassing. They're they're almost as scared as about doing nothing as they're about doing something. But no, I mean, truly, a lot of Republicans have, have deep issues with the bill, and including Republicans in the Senate or Republicans who in the state legislatures who are very concerned about things like Medicaid uh, cuts. Uh, or, um, you know, there was talking to a guy from New Jersey, uh, uh, Charlie Dent, the other day, who, you know, it's po- I mean, this guy's a Republican. He's opposed to the cutting of Planned Parenthood funding. He's, you know, worried about the impact that this is going to have on people with pre-existing conditions and the opioid crisis. So they are out there. There's just that there's, you know, you've got the sort of leadership of the party with Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell that really feel like they need to do something. So... We'll, it's still being decided what this bill will ultimately look like. That's what happens when you let the inmates run the asylum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, this, yeah. Anyway, it's such, it, healthcare is such a mess in America that, like, it just—I mean—it pretty much destroyed the Democrats when they tried to reform the system, and it looks like it's going to do the same to the Republicans. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of anger up there. So I'm actually looking at some of these Medicare cuts, or sorry, Medicaid. Gosh, I get those mixed up. Um, And it says National Cancer Institute, 19% of the agency's budget. Oh, that's the NIH stuff. Yeah, uh, there are a ton of public health agencies that the Trump administration wants to cut by about 20%. Uh, Everything from, yeah, cancer research to, you know, 
heart and lung and vision stuff. Yeah, and, and that was in the budget, right? This is in the Trump administration's proposed budget, which it's very important to remember. Trump doesn't actually get to set the budget. That's Congress. But this is essentially his wish list of here's what I think should happen. Uh, he, he, you know, he doesn't have the power to actually do this. This is just what he's pushing for. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Congress, as frequently and almost always happens, will to a certain extent ignore this. Okay. Uh, it, it's just sort of it's just sort of the beginning of a negotiation point. Yeah. Oh well, then we get to see the art of the deal. <laughs> well, it, see, it's funny you say that because the last time they had Trump had to do this, they had another you know fiscal cliff showdown a month or so ago. Uh, Democrats just got pretty much everything they wanted. <laughs> They got funding for everything they wanted. They they got blocking funding for a border wall. They they, they they kept funding for Planned Parenthood. But that Trump, I think, is just was kind of embarrassed by that, embarrassed by the coverage afterwards, saying, "Wow, the Democrats really really won this one." That it looks like he's gearing up for a big fight for the next round. Because I mean, there's no way this budget, as he proposed, I mean, it cuts another six hundred billion dollars for Medicaid. It, it, there's no way even Republicans would go for that, let alone Democrats. Hmm. Okay, so now that the budget is in the Senate and they're kind of fixing it, what mm-hmm. will happen there? The ACHA, you mean? AHCA. AHCA. Acha. Aka. It sounds like caca. Yeah, that's a good question because no one really knows. They come back next week. They're expected to have a draft piece of legislation by next week. I don't know how they pass this. I mean, you've got a group of moderates and a group of hardliners. And, I mean, some of the hardliners people people know, like uh, Ted Cruz and, and Rand Paul. And I mean, they want really strict cuts. And then you've got these more moderate Republican senators who, who do not want to go down that road. So they've got to find some sort of compromise that appeases both wings of the party, I don't know what that looks like. I I can't really imagine how they do it, but who knows? We said that about the House too. So they'll have a draft piece of legislation that'll get debated and debated and debated and presumably amended. And if they can ever get to a point where they can get 50 Republican senators, then they'll pass it. But then even then it's not done. Even then they have to go back to the House because they're making changes and the House and the Senate will ultimately have to agree all right, so that about does that conversation. So thanks to Paul for joining us. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy. You can find us on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod, on Facebook, Bad and Bitchy Podcast. And always, as always, you can send us love notes at badandbpod at gmail.com. Do you guys have anything else to add? What if they want to follow Paul on Twitter? You can find Paul on Twitter at PDMcLeod. Bye. 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 <laughs> My bitch is bad and bullshit. <laughs>